Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Macy Reeves, LMSW, has joined us tonight to discuss her social work journey thus far. Macy Reeves, LMSW, is a graduate of Auburn University with a bachelor's in social work and a master's in social work from the University of Alabama. She has a variety of social work experience, primarily in the therapeutic space, working closely with children, adults, and their families. She currently works in oncology at a hospital where she provides emotional support and guidance to patients navigating barriers to treatment. Macy is currently under supervision to obtain her clinical licensure and is prepared to complete supervision in 2024. Welcome, Macy. I am super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. And I feel like I should add doing supervision with Renita Ray, aka the best. <laughs> but thank you for that warm introduction. You are welcome. I'm so glad you are in our supervision group. And when I was reading your bio, I was like, oh man, you're going to be done soon. You have been such a joy to, to learn from, really. You have just been such a joy. And I'm so glad you said yes to this today. My favorite thing about getting to interview so many of you is reading your bios. And the absolute first thing that stands out to me in your bio is that part of our social work journey, journeys are similar in that we both graduated from both Auburn and Alabama with degrees in social work. Uh, (laughs) This past weekend, (laughs) we just celebrated the Iron Bowl. I got to know, who did you vote? Who did you root for? Oh, my goodness. You know, I have always grown up an Auburn fan and I stand beside them through the wins and through the losses. But I must say, this loss stung so hard. But, in you, you know, you think when you're an Auburn fan, over time, you kind of get used to it. Uh, but this one, this one hit different. And I always said, you know, I crossed enemy territory when I went to Alabama. But I will say I loved my time there. I loved the campus. I know you could probably say the same. Yeah, I absolutely love Little Hall. I think I went when it was still haunted, right? They used to, there was bats in the attic. I'm sure you had a different I have heard this because my program was primarily online, but when I went to see the campus, I was invited up and I think they had newly renovated the space because it was beautiful, but I had heard my comparison to it was probably not like some others. I think it was around for a long time. It has been around for a very long time. I got to, I got invited as an alumni at the University of Alabama Little Hall School of Social Work and got invited back and they had pictures out because they had dug out the attic and they actually had, I'm going to have to see if I can find it. But I, when I was at the University of Alabama, I was the president of the National Association of Black Social Workers. I'd forgotten all about that. They had not had a, a chapter in a while and I remember Dr. Fay Hobbs, who's no longer here, um, asked me to be the president and little video me. <laughs> and they had a picture of that. Um, and wow. I, and yeah, it was pretty cool to go back after. And they found that and 
they were able to give me a copy. I'm going to put that up. I'm going to put that up somewhere. As you should. I hope that mm. made the renovation. I don't know. You know what? After the <laughs> renovation, you know, they, they had all the pictures out and had invited alumni back. And, you know, you got to look and see if you can find anything you recognize. And I have not been back yet. I have been to wherever you, they do the CEUs. I can't remember. Um, mm -hmm. Is next to the the capstone. Um, I have been there, but I have not been back to Little Hall since the renovation. Yeah. But I need to go back. We'll and, have to change that. Yes, maybe know. we can go back together. That would be yeah. so great. Oh, well, you, I. Yes. Yeah. And maybe we can find shirts that set our half Auburn, half Alabama. Half Alabama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm social sure. workers. We have the we have the resources to make these things we happen. Do. We, <laughs> we do. We have access to we, these. I, and you know, you're pretty crafty, and I won't get into that. But maybe you can yeah. make uh, an ornament or something. And I'll because see I'm what sure we do. are not the only ones. Because for a long time, Alabama and Alabama A and M, but mostly Alabama, were the only what were the only schools you could get your MSW at, at yeah. in Alabama. And, and I think so, you had a large part in you know, creating change in that area too. Oh, they see I did. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we won't we, this shout out. You. <laughs> wow, wow. Legacy, right? Thank you for that. What you know, I I wanted to ask you, why don't you change it up just a little bit? Because you did go mm -hmm. to Auburn, Alabama. It had me thinking about some of you know, Dr. Faye Hobbs was one of she was very impactful to me. Yeah. Um and uh Oh man, Angie Burke at Auburn. Yeah, she was very impactful to me at Auburn. Precious and so person. when thinking about, you know, my time both at Auburn University and then at the University of Alabama, I was wondering who were your favorite instructors or mentors? Yeah, that is such a great question. And it's one that causes me and reminds me to look back and think because there are so many people who came before me, who got me to where I am now. And I feel like being kind of a young social worker in the field, I'm probably just scratching the surface because I know it takes a village. But when I think back, especially just starting my career and, you know, getting into the field, my first class, it was an intro to social work class. And my professor's name, she had the cutest name. I will never forget her name was Nana. And it was so sweet. So I was already attracted just because of that. I mean, when your professor's name is Nana, you just feel at home. Um, but she sold me on the profession and it was through her passion. And I think any social worker can agree. We're just very passionate in our career majority of the time. And I don't know that if I would not have had a different charisma and a professor or a different take on the profession, if I would have bought it or given it, you know, my all in terms of just being a freshman and paying attention and really being intentional about what I wanted to do with my life. She kind of honed me in on some of that. And I think that's where I felt kind of called. So she definitely influenced me in a lot of ways. And she actually passed a few years ago. So I know she, you know, influenced a lot of other people, including me. But yeah, she's one that I'll always remember for sure. Absolutely. I, you're, you know, I wrote down, it takes a village and I'm just all of a sudden just nostalgic of who got mm -hmm. me there who kept me there those those kind of things I heard you say Macy that you were a freshman and you already your major was already social work 
for me, I changed my major five times before I found social work. You <laughs> as a freshman knew, and we're, you know, this gets into why you're here today. Tell me about your social work journey. How did you get there? And how did you know, even as a freshman, that your yeah. major was going to be social work? Yeah. So, and it is funny. It's so interesting looking back now, just where I came, but I knew that I wanted to be in what I considered the helping profession. And I think for me, psychology was always of interest and nursing felt right um, in terms of what career would be safe, you know, what black and white box, where do I fit in? You have these kind of stereotypical careers that you think of, which they all are great and we're all called to different areas. Um, but I don't think I was thinking about that initially. So once I took that intro class and I wish I could remember why I did. I honestly don't. I maybe had a friend who did it as an elective. Um, but once I found it and discovered what it meant, that passion that Nana kind of instilled in the profession and within us as students, it really created kind of this journey for myself that I was really proud of because it almost felt like a hidden gem. Social work was not something that I knew of before. It wasn't something that my friends were doing. It wasn't something that I had a lot of experience with. Although it's funny because we exist everywhere. Um, it felt like it was something just kind of for me. And I think because I had that experience, it allowed me to be really intentional and specific with what I wanted to do with it. So it kind of, it led me to obviously changing my major and and drawing me in a little bit more. And once I did that and I took your typical micro, meso, macro classes and, you know, community groups and um, culture, all these different pieces and just what makes human beings being able to live in society better, that kind of was attractive to me. Um, I just kind of took it by storm and ended up deciding that I wanted to kind of go for the long haul, pursue the master's, pursue the clinical licensure. And with all of that, I found a lot of my experiences tailored towards that therapeutic space. You know, within social work, within the exposure that I had in school, I, I knew that I would have options. But I think once you get in the field, you have your internships, you have your placements, and you have your classes, there are certain moments when you have light bulb kind of go off like I feel confident here I feel comfortable in this space and for me it was always in a therapeutic setting with patients with clients whether it's behind closed doors and having really difficult conversations or just holding capacity and space and space for people in really difficult times I was never afraid of that and I think there's a lot of inner healing work you know I'm sure a lot of like my my personal like traumas and experiences or are being healed with some of that too. And I won't go into that, but I think that's a large part of like what drew me into the profession too. But I have always enjoyed being kind of in that space. And I hope that whatever I do in the future, I kind of remain in that. And I'm, I'm happy to be able to be doing that now in kind of a medical setting, um, working alongside oncology patients and supporting them um, alongside a brain cancer diagnosis. But I've been in mental health, you know, facilities before with communities and you take little bits of nuggets wherever you go so I just hurt to, hope to continue to learn more from the people around me to be able to better serve my clients moving forward but love the therapeutic lane that's where I hope to stay I love that 
I heard you say a couple, two things really stood out. You said twice calling, you know, I, I do think that social work is a calling. You know, I've met, I used to have a phrase. I can't say I say it anymore because I don't, but I used to have a phrase that I haven't met a social worker I didn't like. I have now met social mm. workers I didn't like, <laughs> but <laughs> just be transparent. But, I was to say, it's, it's honest. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But, you know, before, you know, some of, you know, and then this is the whole point of these conversation is what is your social work journey? Right. And so obviously in love with the profession, there are going to be people. I love that you mentioned part of it is our own healing, you know, in supervision, I think I've said a couple of times, social work for some social work sometimes feels like church. That's where the sick people mm-hmm. go. So what are you expecting? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, there's going to be some folks that, you know, aren't doing the work. And one of my, one of the things that I say before I meet my clients, so there is, there's two things. I want you to speak to calling, but then I also wanted to just in, invite you to the concept that I do for myself is let me be medicine before, you know, I start supervision group and, or, um, meet with a client, you know, Mm -hmm. is let me be medicine. Because one of the things that I believe is if I allow myself to be medicine, then like you said, I'm being healed through that interaction and then also providing hopefully healing as well. So what talk to me about, you know, since you've said it twice, what does, the calling of social work look like for you and what do you think about this concept of letting me be medicine yeah I love that and I love your reflections I know I won't get into that but this is why I should add you to my list of mentors because you speak so intentionally and you pull out things that people need to hear and that we need to discover for ourselves um and kind of with that I think for me calling was something that you don't know until you kind of have that or feel that experience and it came later in life. Um, but I've always felt and been passionate about purpose. And I think I've reframed purpose to calling. Um, I think everyone on this earth has a purpose. And I think that's a large part of why I do what I do as a social worker, because I feel like I'm living my purpose and maybe being that medicine in order to better serve the people around me. And through that calling, if I am able to be 100% where my feet are and pursuing my personal calling that I feel like maybe, you know, my space or my ministry, the place that I feel like I'm supposed to be, then it hopefully can catapult others to being able to do the same thing. Because I have found just personally, and I know through research, that when we are pursuing our purpose and doing you know, being in the space where our gifts are being used because we all have different things to offer and give. I could not do, I could not be a doctor. I could not, I could not be a nurse. I look back now thinking, you know, when I went in and had my major as a nurse, I just, I just laugh because I'm too much of a hypochondriac and can't do blood. So it's just funny, you know, how when we are doing things for other people, it, it nine times out of 10, it's not going to be successful because it's not our calling. It's not our space. So just encouraging people to do that, um, I think it's important. So I try to be passionate about doing that for myself. Um, and just to speak to, to being the medicine, you know, I think it takes a lot of courage. I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of hope to be able to feel confident in that space, to be able to know that like we have the tools and the capacity to have that medicine for ourselves and other people. 
And I think we also have to be really humble in that too and recognize, you know, that it's an honor to walk alongside people who are going through what they're going through. And we can't really take that lightly. Um, but to kind of balance both of those, when it's your calling, you, you feel more comfortable in that. Absolutely. I love that. And I love the humility. This feels like it's a veer off, but it's not. Recently in supervision, we were talking about the code of ethics and how social work code of ethics state that we are not to ever be in any type of sexual relationship with our clients. And, you know, dialoguing about that, it is because there is a sense of authority that social workers have when they, you know, been with their clients, we know more about them than they do about us. And so then crossing that line, you are the authority figure and it's not a partnership, which would be a healthy relationship, right? And I know that seems like a veer, but it's, you know, it bleeds into the humility that you spoke of, of letting the client be the expert of their lives, right? And being honored to be a part of that process with them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and not being the expert or the authority figure in that client's life and knowing that every time, oh, well, let me tell you, if you mm-hmm. go, if you have this approach with clients, that diminishes burnout. Because if we think we're the expert, if we think we're the authority figure, then we think we're going to have to know all the answers. How am I going to know all the answer to this client's life? They probably have solved these problems over again, over and over and over again. They just maybe need someone to remind them, how did you solve that in the past, right? And empower them to do so, right? And so I love that you speak to um, just being honored to be able to do this work. I think that one it it helps you come to each day with joy and gratitude. And then we allow the client to be the expert in their own life. So good. And because we will be surely disappointed very mm-hmm. quick. That, that's one of the foundations I think social workers probably learn early on being thrown into the field that you probably don't learn from school and having to reframe those thoughts for sure. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, you heard heard about your your undergraduate, your graduate process, but I I want to pause there before I move postgraduate. How did you know, or why did you know it would be important for you to get your master's in social work? Because you went to two different schools, and although Auburn now has MSW program, I'm assuming when you graduate they may not have had it, or how did just. Just been on the cusp. It was not accredited yet. It was mm-hmm. it was new. Um, yeah. How did you know the importance of going on and getting your? I think that's important. We I, on a different um, podcast interview, we were talking about the BSW is great, but really, if you want to live a quality life, the MSW licensure Absolutely. and beyond is better. Yeah, and I think it's important to have these conversations. Um, because when we talk about living that valuable life and what it means to, to have opportunities, those opportunities are going to exist and expand the further you get in your education. And those letters behind your name mean a lot more, you know. Um, but I, I had heard a lot of people around me 
talking about wanting to pursue private practice, which at that point, social workers in the state of Alabama couldn't even diagnose. So I'm so glad that I did not let that stop me <laughs> from pursuing my master's and my clinical license. But I did know that if I wanted to hold space in a therapeutic area that I would probably need my master's and pursue my LICSW because I couldn't do that with just a BSW. So for me, it was thinking long-term about where I saw myself and just making a decision for sacrificing loans, you know, student loans and applying for scholarships, things like that, and just not letting fear or other further school hold me back because truly you learn a lot too. It, my master's it really taught me more, honestly, in my one year, I hate to say it, than a lot of my bachelor's did my undergrad. I, Auburn taught me a lot. Don't get me wrong. It was a great program, but my, your master's and, and supervision, which is another level up, I must add, is just, it further kind of catapults you into the area where you need to grow and expand and um, for me, I, I just made that decision based off of where I saw myself in my career. But. Macy, I'm curious. And I, you know, you spoke of nursing and, you know, mm -hmm. I, I thought when I had one brief thought <laughs> that I could be a nurse <laughs> one time <laughs> and I watched a nurse doing a pack shit. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I could do that. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I think it takes all of us in the helping profession. I think you call it the helping Absolutely. profession. I think it takes all of us. And so I'm going to speak to this respectfully. You know, sometimes people get that undergraduate degree and they want to be in private practice like you spoke of and they hear counseling. Right. And so obviously it feels like the most the next logical step that is to get a master's in counseling. I'm curious as to why you decided the MSW, because people we don't talk about this, I think, enough either. Mm -hmm. Right. And the difference between the MSW and the counseling degree and and why you knew the MSW could get you exactly still to a private practice versus, you know, going the counseling route. Do you mind speaking uh, to that? Absolutely. And with zero hesitation, I can say that in full confidence, I think, and I guess I should backpedal because that bachelor's did prepare me for wanting to pursue that intentionally and staying in that social work lane. I had taken psychology courses and different counseling classes that were either part of kind of that undergraduate course load or just electives, but it felt always very structured. Um, and social work is, is structured, but in a different way, in my opinion, and from what I've been exposed to in a very, I mean, we say person and environment, it's a very holistic, you're looking at the entire person, their life experiences, and you're not confined to a specific theory or a specific practice or a specific, you know, career. When you do go those routes, you kind of are more confined to, to going in a specific career path where you can only provide counseling or you can only provide, you know, certain, I'm sure you can teach other things like that in that space. But with with those careers, it seems that it's a little more limited than social work. I think the opportunities are endless. And that was definitely something that stood out to me is, say, for whatever reason, my lifestyle changes. I mean, for example, now I'm working in a hospital. You know, I've worked in community mental health. I 
I have friends who are social workers who work in schools. I have friends who are social workers who are working in, you know, prison reform. I have friends who are social workers and are working in all kinds of different aspects and scopes. So that's really attractive. And I think very much that prevents burnout in our profession too, which can also be experienced in counseling as well. But it just seems more limited. Would you agree with that? Absolutely agree with it. I think you said it better than I could. As an academic advisor, I would have students being sent to me. And one of the things I would always encourage them, and I'm going to encourage our audience, is if you are wavering between the MSW and the counseling degree, go to, is it, what, where do you get jobs? (laughs) I haven't haven't done that in so long. (laughs) Indeed, or career builder or monster. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And look at what degree they're asking for and what credential they're yeah. asking for. And I think, you know, without even, because again, I think it takes all of us, you know, whether totally. it's the, you know, the counseling degree or the LMFT or the MSW, the nursing degree, it's going to take us enough sick people out here for all of us to eat. Right. Um, but when you are thinking about your own quality of life and what you want to do, I think it's important for you to go and look at what is your dream job? And what credential are they asking for? And then pursue that. And yeah. oftentimes, I think people would see that it was MSW, that it specifically the LMSWN or the LICSW. I've even had professors of counseling send their students to me um, and had students who had master's degree in counseling who end up coming back and getting their MSW. So I think it is an important conversation. And because, you know, some people might get hurt their feelings hurt a little bit. So we're saying it with the utmost respect, but we want people to live quality lives. So do your own due diligence, do your own research, but look and see what is the credential your dream job is asking for, and then pursue that. I think you just said it perfectly because I had, (laughs) I had friends and I've had mentors. Even I know when I was in community mental health, the children's therapist that I worked side by side with every day who taught me so much was an LPC and she was absolutely wonderful so it's not even so much about like the person and their qualifications as it is just looking long term you know like where where do you want to be where do you see yourself and obviously I'm a little biased I'm a little passionate about social work so come on over to our side you (laughs) know I'm passionate yes (laughs) yes I think it takes all of us but I want people to thrive in this profession and so you know really do your due diligence. So I'm glad you spoke to that. All right. So we talked about undergraduate, graduate, you know, a little bit of postmasters, but I'm going to keep on moving. Where do you see yourself in the field of social work um, in the future? Yes. I daydream about this all the time. It's, it is so much fun, especially being over the hump of the two-year supervision mark. It feels closer than it did. So that's super exciting. And I think it just kind of makes you start to think more logistically about those five-year, 10-year plans. Um, My plans have changed over the years, but they remain within that therapeutic space. I I feel like I'm like beating a dead horse, but it just is something that I feel like it's where I'm supposed to be. So I took a job in a hospital medical setting, knowing that 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 may not be my everyday, but knowing the greater the risk, the greater the reward with what I'm going to continue to learn wherever I am. And for this season of life, it has been one of the most incredible experiences. And I get to actually have a support group um, with our patients, which 
has been incredible. And I hope to, wherever I end up, continue to being able to do that. So just serving from a therapeutic lens, using empathy and compassion to guide my day-to-day with my clients. And for me, a lot of the times that is a more verbal, communicative, less referral making, that kind of thing, unless it's sending someone to an agency or something like that. But I enjoy being able to, to do that. So I hope in the next few years that I'm either able to continue doing that or be in a private practice setting. I think that's a long-term goal. We speak things into existence over here. It's already done. And, you know, (laughs) one of the things I know to be true about Alabama, the LICSW, like you said, we're able to diagnose now, which we weren't able to before. I think because of the new rules and law changes that have happened in Alabama, the doors are wide open and you're going to be able to meet those goals a lot sooner than you probably could ever have dreamed or imagined. Can I speak to, because one, you know, Macy, you and I talk um, a lot about intentionality. You know, that's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. words. And I hear you talk about it often and listening to your social work journey. It feels like there is a lot of intentionality behind um, what, you know, your next steps, go and get the BSW, knowing what you want to do with the MSW, coming on into supervision. And one, it feels like that time has flown by. I, I, I don't, I'm not, you know, fishing for anything, but we, I think too, because of how this conversation has gone, I would love for you to speak to our audience about how quickly the supervision has flown. You know, when we talk, you'll be done in next year. So, oh my goodness, already. Um, do you mind talking about or speaking to um, the supervision process for you and how quickly mm-hmm. that has gone by in order for you to to meet, be intentional about meeting your goals? Absolutely. I think when I try to be intentional, it's because I do not like to do anything with half of my heart. It feels wrong. It doesn't feel true. It does not feel authentic. And when I'm not doing that, it, it drives me crazy. Um, so within the supervision space, you know going in that it's going to be long. You know going in that it's going to be a commitment. But I think we really have to just reframe and reshape why that is. There is so much integrity in our field. And it's one of the most underrepresented topics, I think, in, in social work. The love that, side note, that you're just doing this podcast, that you're giving social workers the space to have these conversations is gives me a voice. It, it makes me feel, you know, powerful. And so it's been so much fun just having this conversation with you. But whenever you know, we think of social work, I think we do kind of think of that BSW, that one year and then supervision, you know, I'm going on 26 years old and started college when I was 18. And there was only a year between me graduating from my master's at Alabama and me starting my supervision. I took a little time to take my test and start. But when you add all of that math up, you know, that's a pretty, pretty long amount of time to be pursuing you know, a a career and a goal that you have. So part of being intentional for me allows me to have peace during that process. It reminds me of why I made that decision in Nana's class so long ago. It grounds me with why I love the profession and it further solidifies what I want to do when I'm done. And I'm going to be so proud of myself when I do get to that space because I've been intentional about it. 
because I think when we kind of sit back and get lazy or kind of forget, which it's okay because we all do it, you know, I've been preaching to the choir here. I've, you know, have to remind myself of this too, but I think it just takes grounding and intentionality to just be where your feet are and remember the long-term goal and, and why we started it so long ago. Absolutely. You know, um, there's a very small percentage of people in the United States of America get their graduate degree and then to be able to go get the first license and then the supervision and get the second license it's like we're about to be doctors at this point <laughs> and oftentimes in fact MSW and you know the license in social work are the terminal degrees because you you have done 10 years a decade's worth of work to get to that point and I'm mm -hmm. so protective of the social work protect uh, profession in that I do, even though I, you know, I'm mad at the ASWB for the testing rate and all of that, I do think it is important to test, to test again, to be in supervision. I've worked mm -hmm. with so many, you know, social workers who just kind of slid into some boundary issues. And, and it was really, if they had had been in a supervision you know, space or, or some type of community and, or, you know, they were able to test and know how hard they had to work to get to those levels. It goes back again to how much authority we have over our clients. And so when you mm -hmm. have to work almost a decade to get to that point, you take it seriously and you yeah. don't slide so easily into some of those um, ethical Bar unethical barriers and right. so I appreciate that Macy you know there's something unique about our relationship I think in that you know for me um and this is a you know we're, we're getting to our last question here um I we do presentations in our in our supervision community and one of the things that has been important to me over this last year is social work and spirituality you know I had someone who spoke on um, new age spirituality and then someone who spoke on the Christian faith in social work and then recently we even had um, someone who spoke on uh, social work in the Muslim population you in supervision you often talk about your faith and I wanted to ask you how do you because our social you know we talk about the code of ethics and it's just like ah that's everything then yeah. over here you have your 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 faith and then I know for me, and again, I, you know, graduated 24 years ago, but it was kind of, loved my, both my universities, but it was kind of nailed in my head. You know, you keep that separate, especially here in the Bible Belt, you keep that mm -hmm. separate. But over the last two decades, I've realized you can't as far as the clients, because when they are dealing, if I'm not showing up as my authentic self, we've talked about authenticity in, in mm -hmm. today's show a lot. If I don't bring my authentic self to the table, then I'm telling the client they can't bring their authentic self as well. And part of my authentic self is that I'm a spiritual being. And so if they're if I'm having to leave my spiritual self on the at the front door when I walk into my office space, I'm telling the client, well, you have to leave yours, too. But what if that is what gets them through this tough time that they're coming to see you about? And so I'm curious, how do you, if at all? blend those two worlds together especially when we've kind of been trained not to yeah you just said all the right things so I'm going to try to say that as beautifully and as eloquently as you from 
my experience, I can relate. It was something that I probably would not have even brought up in supervision had, I think I'm giving the same example you were just talking about, it being able to be talked about in, in a way that I feel safe, in a way that I feel, you know, understood from the lens that I'm coming from, which is simply, this is a big part of my life and I see it being a big part of my client's lives. You know, within that same breath, holding space for spirituality as a spectrum, you know, and remembering the diverse, you know, beautiful cultures that we have and knowing that our clients come from all different walks of life. But with that, being able to use that as a guide and being able to remind people of their spirituality when that's something that's important to them, it does feel a little taboo kind of nowadays. So I'm, I'm glad that we're having these conversations and kind of flipping the script um, on the way that we view that. And I think through the presentations that we've had in supervision, as you mentioned, we've been able to see even as social workers, how we can kind of use that as a tool, um, whatever that looks like. And even, you know, having conversations with people of other religions, how, how do you suggest that we approach this client? How do you, you know, suggest we ask questions and just educating ourselves more about, you know, the different variety and spectrums of spirituality. Um, but for me personally, you know, it, it is something that's very special and close to me and kind of guides my day-to-day -day decisions in my life. And I'm trying to find its place personally and professionally, how those worlds kind of blend together. Um, and again, to say intentional in an intentional way. And I actually did research not too long ago about, and I remember this being talked about very briefly in school, but the original social workers were from the churches and they started in the hut houses and, you know, it was, it was used as this calling and a way to you know spread the gospel or just bring, you know, guidance, resources, and support to people who were vulnerable and marginalized. And when I think of, you know, my journey as a Christian and on this side of heaven for me, that could not be closer to, to what I feel like Jesus walked on the earth for in my ministry. So that's why uh, another part of why I love being a social worker just personally for me. Um, so I love the intersection of social work and spirituality for sure. I often say, <laughs> I think Jesus was a social worker. <laughs> Absolutely. I do. He was with the drunks and the, and the prostitutes yep. and the, he wasn't in the church. What? He was on the street doing the work. And that's what I think social workers do. And that's why I guess I used to say, uh, I hadn't met a social worker I didn't like, but you know, yeah. now I like social workers who are following their calling. And I, I love Macy that you are following your calling and uh and thank you nana for being so passionate about the profession macy do you have any final words of advice any wisdom of nuggets you want to leave our audience with today i would say if someone's considering social work if someone is a seasoned social worker if someone is in the thick of it maybe like me an early social worker what I have learned and what I hope to continue to remember is that we cannot do it alone. And I think there's two parts to that. One part being we need to be with ourselves and just ourselves sometimes and kind of be in our own thoughts. And we also need other people just as much as that. 
I think we really need to rely on ourselves and our self-care and how we treat our mind and our bodies and also being able to take from other people wisdom and a multidisciplinary outside perspective just to bring awareness to the lives that we're going to continue to to shape and to change because we can't do it on our own but we also are capable of doing it together and for ourselves so that would be my advice that I will probably continue to give to myself too (laughs) I hope you will I know you because you are very intentional (laughs) you've taught me well (laughs) I love that Macy oh man this was such an amazing interview thank you for being so transparent Thank you for being so vulnerable and thank you for sharing your story with all of us today. Thank you for giving me the courage to do so. This was so fun. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.